Pittsburgh sports fans, welcome back to another episode of Back to the Tunnel. I'm your host, Jeff Hartman, host of the PM Podcast here at DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio, where we're talking about everything under the sun, Pirates, Penguins, Steelers, and we are everywhere where you can find your podcasts at Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, anywhere. Google Play, Stitcher, Anchor, we are there. Now on this show, typically I have Dale Lolly on. Dale's on vacation. So who do I bring in? We go to the bullpen, get the right-hander out. That's nothing but Chris Carter. Chris, what's going on, my friend? I'm doing great, Jeff. I'm coming out the tunnel, man. I'm warming up. Let's go. (laughs) And all I throw is heat. I just throw heat. Yeah. Don't you? Hey, it's like uh, in Major League, the movie, you know, it's like forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him the heater. (laughs) (laughs) We have a great history together on the podcast platform. It's good to have you on the show for the first time. And uh, let's talk about something that I know you're passionate about. And I know you've been keeping an eye on. Now, granted, a couple, let me preface this next topic for all those listeners out there that might be pessimists or with those listeners out there that might say, well, it's a little too early. This conversation is going to be based on the fact that there will be football in 2020. Now, that's just me saying that. Could football get canceled? Absolutely, it could get canceled. And I wouldn't be shocked, to be honest with you. But we are going to speak as if there is going to be a training camp, that there is going to be a 2020 regular season. And we are going to be talking about one thing today, at least in the first segment. And that's training camp battles, training camp battles. Now, Chris, you've looked at this roster. You've looked at these 90 players, which might get trimmed down depending on what the NFL and NFLPA agree. But where exactly, what positions are you in mentally thinking, okay, I'm putting a star next to these positions for camp battles because I really want to see who is going to win in these key positions. What are some of them? We'll just go, go, let's go one at a time. Well, first and foremost, right tackle. Um, we, we, we've been told by Coach Tomlin that Matt Filer's moving to left guard and that that's going to be at least where we presume he starts at the start of training camp and that that immediately creates a vacancy there and that's between – and that we presume that the top two guys for that would be Zach Banner and Chakuma Okorafor. And, of course, Banner being the free agent that came in and has remade his, his career, and now he's becoming a fan favorite. Um, Okorafor was, the I believe, the fourth-round draft pick out of Western Michigan, um, who's entering, I think this is his third season in the NFL. He's had a couple starts. He's done okay. We've seen him lose some battles, but I, I thought he held his own against Vaughn Miller um, in the, the 2018 matchup that they had with the Broncos uh, and didn't get exposed too much. Um, and it's, I think that's a very interesting battle because I look at a core for as the prototype build for an offensive tackle. He had, and he has the good footwork. He can get in position, but my problem with him has always been, and it still is, he doesn't finish plays enough. There's times where he has a player locked up and he doesn't bury them. He doesn't pancake them. He doesn't, you know, make sure that they're completely out of the play. He will get to his spot spot and do his job, but when it comes to finishing and putting the exclamation point on his work, I think that that's where he has to finalize himself. Banner, I think that he has, he's been finding himself more and more because he 
acknowledges over you know over his career that he didn't take it as seriously as he should have and he's had to change like his his lifestyle like he he eats healthier he works out more he takes himself more seriously and I think with that we've seen a growth in his mechanics of being a tackle um there were times last year where he went up against Chandler Jones you know against the Cardinals and he looked strong um and you know, the, that wasn't something that was on any sort of tape of his coming into the season. So uh, what's what's interesting to me is that Banner seems to be tapping into a potential that we have not seen much of because he's been that sixth offensive lineman for the team. And Okorafor is a guy that's young and big, and they're both going to be in it. It's going to be a different style of battles and who wants it more and who's made more progress throughout this offseason. And what might be the most telling is, Who's done the work? Who's who's been staying in shape and working on their their mechanics through all of COVID and quarantining? So, is there anything about Banner that causes concern? Because for me, there's a red flag, and it is that last season there's two there's two situations. First was that we rarely ever saw Banner move backwards. He was the tackle eligible yeah. player. Everyone knows because it became a really funny joke running through everything. It was like, oh, look at that, he's funny and tackle eligible, and they had shirts and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But he always was in for running plays. And he, we know that he's such a big body. He can get downhill. He can definitely move some people. Rarely ever did I see him in pass protection. I, and I feel like that's his weakness if there is an area of weakness. And here's another thing. Go back to the Rams game. Ramon Foster's out. They move Matt Filer to guard. Because yeah. why? Aaron Donald's coming. And yes, Aaron Donald yeah. is that good. So they do that. And then all of a sudden, they say, we're not going to move Banner to tackle. We're going to put a core four out there. That They said, well, we want to keep Banner in his usual role. But to me, that was like a little bit of a red flag. Like, well, we're not sure. What are your thoughts on that? I think that part of it is is the whole we want to keep it in the role thing. I think that that, that, that wasn't uh, an excuse. That was like a, hey, we have a system right now. Let's not rock the boat too much. But I do think that banners is going like sometimes you saw him struggle he didn't look as comfortable in his drop now under people need to understand when you're dropping back there is a cadence of when your feet fire like when you're when your feet hit the ground and they need to be in sync with people with the players around you and that's not easy that's not something that that just comes to you naturally all the time you have to work at that you have to work at work at it with your teammates um and uh and that's going to be something that i think the offensive lines across the league are going to struggle with because no one's been able to work together. But um, as far as the drop, you know, sometimes I would see Banner not take enough steps in his, like his feet would stop moving when he, when, when he gets into contact. And that's, that's a common thing with linemen, especially big linemen who, uh, you know, who might need to work on their mechanics more. You may, you may chop your feet. Like you, the biggest thing about a lineman, you can tell about a greatness is when, they meet contact and you see those feet are still moving because that means they're still generating power with their lower body. They're still turning energy and that helps them get the leverage to push through an opponent or control an opponent. But when you see those feet stagnate, when they just stick in the ground, that is bad. And that means that you're stuck. That means you're not generating any power from your lower body. Everything's coming from your upper body and just your stance. And that's something that I would see out of Zach Banner more often than not. Now, a core for it, that's where I saw a strength of his. His, foot, his feet would keep moving. Now, the problem is his feet would keep moving, and then he wouldn't do anything with it. And I think that's where he has to grow in his thing. But I agree that Zach Banner has some places to grow. Now, this is not an indictment of Zach Banner saying that he can't, he can't do that, but I think that that's part of the mechanics in the, in the, 
the style of his gameplay that he hadn't worked on enough that he might be looking at. And he's saying, hey, I have to improve it. And I got to say, we've seen a lot of growth from this, from this guy. He lost a lot of unnecessarily, unnecessary weight. He became a, a useful part of an offensive line last year um, after bouncing around the league and looking like he might be out the league in another year or two. So I think he deserves a chance to show, hey, you know what? I've been working on these things. My footwork is better. My, my hand placement is better. I'm working. I have better chemistry with my teammates because I'm working on that. Um, and I think that could end up being a strength. But right now, it is certainly on the, many, on the list of question marks that I have on this team. So who do you see winning this battle? <sighs> I go, I've gone back and forth with that debate in my head several times. I think that – I think – Banner's going to be the initial guy, but if Banner struggles, if they come up against some top tier edge rushers and they give him a hard time, I can see this becoming a rotational thing and a core four because they drafted him, they'll favor him and they'll get him overshot. And I think Banner, again, as the, as the vet, they may lean on him because they're saying, Hey, you know what? Banner's, you know, he knows, he knows what we're asking of him. Uh, and, you know, there hasn't been as much training camp. We're going to work with that. But if a core four comes into camp and he shows his, his, his mechanics are, are there and they go through practices and they're, you know, they're going through their drills where they're working on edge rushing and they're working on, on, on how to counter those, those types of moves, if they see enough comfort from that, they will go, they'll, they'll end up going with him. And they might say, hey, Zach, we're still going to use that sixth lineman, so you're still going to get plenty of pl playing time, but a core four is going to be the guy. So I mean, even right there, I just went back and forth on myself. But uh, <laughs> if, if I, I seriously did, I started off saying Banner, and now I'm thinking of Core Four. I know, that's, I how, that's how uneven this is. But, I, I circled Banner uh, on my uh, piece uh, of paper, and then you're going to Core Four. Like, what's he doing? I don't know. I don't know. This is the thing. This is not. There's so much to consider here. I, I, I'm going to switch. I'm going to Core Four simply because I think that they're going to value the draft pick, and he's going to show some fundamentals that they're going to like. But they're, and they're going to say, Hey, Banner. We still need you in this sixth role, and you're our first replacement for if anyone goes down. All right, let me throw another wrinkle into this. What do you think the odds are that neither of these two players really impress, and they end up taking Matt Filer and moving him back to tackle, and they have Stefan Wisniewski at guard? I think that that's a possibility. Um, my only thing with Wisniewski is that they are – they might prioritize his health because they need him to be the backup center. Yeah. If Pouncey goes down and we know Pouncey has had some, sometimes when, when that injury injuries are a problem that they need Wisniewski to be healthy and ready to be that center or to fill in for anyone in the interior three positions. Cause he can play guard center, he can play left guard, right guard and the center position. So I think it's a possibility. Um, especially if Filer doesn't work out at the guard position. Um, but I, I can tell you there's times on tape where Filer, he does an okay job at right tackle, but he doesn't, he looks out, out of, uh, out of position at times. There's times where I'm just like, he looks like he's looking to hit somebody in a, in a way that a guard would rather than a tackle. And, and a perfect example, if you want to look back on a play that actually worked out for the Steelers would be Ben Roethlisberger's touchdown run against the Jaguars in 2018 when they're in the red zone and it's late in the game yep. and it was huge. Filer was the right tackle there. And he completely whiffs on a block. I mean, he misses his guy entirely. And I think it was Miles Jack. And Jack had a clean shot on Ben. But Ben being Ben made it work and got the touchdown anyways. I, I think that Filer, when he's on the interior, he only has to, he has to worry about 
you know, it, it's a completely different set of different set of skills outside of just physical, but also mental. When you're on the inside, you know you have a guy to your right and a guy to your left, and you know that I can fire off and take out this person. Whereas when you're on that when you're on that tackle position and you don't and you're the outside guy. You have to talk, think about ceiling. You have to think about, you know, making sure that I don't just get my man, but I get the outside shoulder of him and turn him inside. And, uh, and if there's another guy behind him, you know, how, how do we handle that? There's a lot, there's a lot of different things to process there. I think Filer could end up working, working there. But I could also see Wisniewski being like, hey, I'm comfortable with this position. You know, I, I was just on a Super Bowl champion team. I was filling in there. Uh, plug me in, coach, and it'll work. And then that way you have Filer at right tackle. So you have all vets on this offensive line, and you're not dealing with a guy that hasn't doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Definitely a position to watch. Uh, what other positions come to mind when you're talking about camp battles coming up? I look at the cornerback position as an interesting spot, especially when it comes to the slot position. Mike Hilton does such a good job inside the box, but they are, they're, they're looking for something from Cam Sutton because Sutton is a guy when he was at Tennessee, he could play every single position in the secondary. Now he, he can't do that in the pros, but he's played outside corner and done well. He's played slot corner and done, done well. I'm interested to see how they try to use him as an extra piece for this defense I know him and Hilton switched a lot last year and they even had a good relationship with each other because they were taught they would work on stuff together. And there'd be times when one did really felt something positive, the first person to greet each other would be each other. They would each come out and be like, let's go. Uh, and I thought their camaraderie was something very cool to watch throughout the season. But Mike, you know, once again, was a, was a, was a restricted free agent. They brought him back, you know, and this is going to be the last time that they could do that. He knows he needs to make a, make a case for himself, not just to be on the team, but if he was to be let go, that, that someone should pick him up. Cam Sutton is on the last year of his rookie deal. So he needs to be. So I think that's going to be an interesting battle because Hilton does a very good job underneath and inside the box. He anticipates the snap well. He sniffs out running plays well. And especially in lateral space, he can shut down plays. I mean, like we forget – in Lamar Jackson's rookie season, when John Harbaugh would bring him out, would bring him out and try to use him as a runner, there were plays where Mike Hilton not only was in position, but was like, "You're not going anywhere. You can put on whatever speed you want. I got my position locked down, and I got my and I, I'm going to shuffle and keep my spot." And Lamar Jackson couldn't get past him. Um, that's going to have value in today's NFL, especially they're, since they're going to have to face Jackson twice. Um, Sutton's a very good tackler, um, but his instincts aren't on the level that the Hiltons are. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting battle. I'm interested to see how wide receivers work because, you know, we know Juju, we know Johnson, we know Washington, but how is Claypool going to fit in? You know, are they just going to use him for deep shots? Uh, you know, when, it, you know, how many snaps is he going to get? What's going to be the, the split there? Um, d you know, with, with Dion Kane and Ryan Switzer, who gets the snaps between those guys? Um, I think that that's going to be an interesting debate in how Ben Roethlisberger uses his wide receivers, because honestly, um, you got three guys that can, you know, you can hit them deep, but you can also see that they're playmakers underneath in Johnson, in Juju, and in Washington. Um, and with Deion Kane and Claypool, not that Claypool can't do things underneath, but you could have both of those guys line up on the outside, sprint down the field, test the defense deep, and really work with, with, you know, your tight ends and your other receivers underneath. And that could cause some serious challenges for people to cover athletically. Um, so I think the wide receiver position is another big one. Um, well, let's stop for a Running second. back is, of course – Let's, let's sorry, stop for a second. Let's talk about these. Let's go back to cornerback. 
You said yeah, yeah. Hilton and Sutton, and that is a very intriguing match. I don't think that they move either player this season because I think Sutton's great in the dime as the dime backer, and we know Hilton plays the line of scrimmage so well and is your typical nickel. Here's my question for you about the cornerbacks, though. So Mike Hilton and Sutton will be free agents at the same time. Knowing the Steelers, knowing how they appreciate these players, knowing the market for their position, and understanding or assuming that the cap is going to remain the exact same and knowing the Steelers' cap situation, if you had to pick who you're going to re-sign because you know how much they're going to cost, which of these two do you keep in 2021? That's tough, man. I'd have to say – I'd have to say I'd stick with Sutton. Um, He's going to be cheaper. He's going to be a lot cheaper. He's going to be cheaper. And Hilton is specifically a slot cornerback. Sutton, I can line up on the outside. I mean, and heck, uh, people forget in the the game-ending interception that was made by Minka Fitzpatrick, I think it was Minka Fitzpatrick, against the uh, the Chargers on Phillip Rivers, the guy who was covering Mike Williams all the way down the field was Cam Sutton. and, and and Sutton's had some big some big games. Uh, one of the uh, one of the, the the tougher things I ever saw was in the midst of the Steelers coming back against the Bengals in the game that they lost Ryan Chazier uh, in twenty in twenty seventeen. Um, Joe Hayden went out, and people forget that. And Cam Sutton filled in in, in his first like official time, and he had to cover AJ Green, and Green was not a problem. Um, it was uh, and I I thought that was remarkable. Um, so Cam Sutton, I think, has fills more roles. Um, they like his size. I think they they value his talent level there, um, and I think that he he wins out that battle contract wise. Yes, because he's cheaper, but also because they, they'll look at his versatility and think we can fit him in more spots than we can fit Mike Hilton. I could go off on a tangent here, and I, we could ask about different packages. We'll save that for another time. But let's go back to the wide receivers. Okay, wide receiver is I like you said. The top four are pretty much locks. Juju, Deontay, yeah. James Washington, and Claypool. They're, they're going to make the team. Unless an injury happens, there's no issue. How many receivers do you think they keep? Because it could be five or it could be six. Well, don't forget that they also have an increase in how many players that are on the roster. Right. Yeah. Uh, now that used to be 53 and now it's 55. I think they keep six. And okay. I've noticed this as a trend ever since – that 2016 AFC championship game where they were missing Martavis Bryant and Marcus Wheaton and Sammy Coates had broken hands. Um, and they were, they were forced to use Eli Rod, like a- Antonio Brown was their top guy, but behind him was Darius Hayward Bay, Eli Rogers, Kobe and Kobe Hamilton. Like they, they were hurting for wide receivers back I'm then. Back catch Kobe. Um, <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Trust me. Uh, but but that, I think that they are done with being in that situation, especially with Ben Roethlisberger around. Yeah. So they're going to keep six. Um, and I, I think the guarantee five are the, the top, the four guys that you mentioned. And I honestly think Deion Kane needs to be a lock for this roster. I agree. The, the things 100%. that he, Yeah. Yeah. I, and if the sixth guy is Ryan Switzer, let, so, so let it be. But honestly, I could, you know, I would have, you know, I thought Demarcus Ayers years ago did fine enough. Um, Damone Patterson, I thought, made enough plays in preseason. Um, if, if you're fast, honestly, I would take that over what Ryan Switzer brings. Yeah, because, I mean, there are some other players there that, you know, I look at, like, um, 
Darbo and Blacknell. Darbo was on the, the roster yeah. last year for a little bit. Um, Blacknell has experience, came from the XFL, but was actually with the Jaguars prior. Um, they have some experience. And so I don't think Switzer's a lock. Like, I know that he has a good relationship with Ben. He's been training with him and he's been to his house. And everyone always said that he could be the Steelers version of Julian Edelman just because they have the same size and build. Let's not go there. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I don't think his spot is safe. A lot of people assume it is personally, it's going to come down to special teams. If they have Switzer returning kicks and potentially returning punts, which why would you do that when you have Deontay Johnson, who's electrifying with the ball in his hands? Does he even have a spot on this team? It'll be interesting to see. Lastly, before we go to our first break running back, you were bringing that up before I rudely interrupted you. What is it? What what can, what do you see with the running back position that you're like, "Ah, I'm not sure where's the battle there. I think that James Conner has to assert himself as the number one guy. And um, not that he hasn't done that in the past, but I think this needs to be a, a solidified year for him. And this needs to be come out and like, hey, I'm the top dog in this room. Um, but I'm interested because Benny Snell, for all the struggles he had, I think a lot of them were because he bulked up even more for the NFL. And we've seen this with a lot of young running backs. Yep. We saw this with Le'Veon Bell in 2013. We saw this with James Conner in 2017. Uh, a lot of running backs will, be, will, will put on more weight because they're ready to take more punishment and they'll be slower. They, they'll be, they won't have as quick of a, a, a quick of feet. And I think that Benny Snell is, is, you know, saw that that he needs to be quicker to the hole. And he, I want to see how much weight does he lose and how much, uh, how, how much quicker off the ball is, is he, if he can hit holes hard and he can, he can run like that. I, I think that that makes an interesting decision for the Steelers. Cause they're also, again, they're looking at James Conner. We got to pay you next year. Or do we, if, if Benny Snell pops up, I think Anthony McFarlane, I love the way that he ran at Maryland. If he can, if they can create the space for that guy to work, I think he's going to be dangerous. And heck, I think he might be the person that puts Ryan Switch's job at risk because I, they might want to say, you know what, Deontay, we love you, but we want you as a wide receiver. We cannot afford to lose you because of how dangerous you are when you're running your routes. But if, if McFarland is able to use his speed and, and be that guy there as a returner, that may make him the guy on, on special teams and it may help make him uh, more of a guy that they want to, you know, work into the offense. I, I think right now the guy that's at the most risk of the running backs that, that that's like, you know, been on the team is Jalen Samuels. I think that he didn't bring enough to the table last year as far as athleticism. Uh, you know, he was, he was drafted to be the Swiss army knife. And, uh, and I think at times it worked in 20, in 2018 when the pressure wasn't on, but in 2019, when, you know, when the quarterback situation went awry and there was more pressure put on him, it just didn't look as strong. Um, and I, I'd be concerned for, uh, for his status on the team, considering that they've drafted a running back now for four straight seasons. Yeah, it is definitely a glaring issue there. And the, what, what, the, the weird connection between all these players is the new quarterbacks coach in yeah. Matt Canada. You know, he was with James Conner at Pitt. He was with Anthony McFarland at Maryland. He was with Jalen Samuels at NC State. Whether that says a lot about Canada, he has never really found a significant home. He knows these guys, and they love him. And it seems like he knows how to get the best out of them. And so for me, it's going to be just one of those really strange storylines, not strange, but unique and interesting to see how it progresses as training camp rolls out. After this break, we're going to be talking about the NFL's return, if it will happen, and if so, 
What are the dangers? We'll be right back. Pittsburgh fans, welcome back. I'm here with Chris Carter, DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in and listening this long into the show. Anyways, we're talking about the NFL's potential return. We just broke down a lot of training camp battles, and we're definitely going to be digging into those as the weeks progress and as camp happens. But you know what? There's just so much unknown out there, Chris. There's so much unknown as it pertains to the coronavirus. There's so much unknown as it pertains to will fans be in the stands. There's so much unknown as to what are the testing protocols going to be? There's so much unknown across the board. Mm-hmm. My question for you, Chris, is in your heart of hearts, and this is just your opinion, is it feasible and is it possible for the NFL to actually have a 2020 regular season this year? I think it's possible. I think the NFL makes more than enough money to throw it around and say, like, look, let's throw every resource in the world to make sure that this happens. I think even beyond the NFL, I think the country needs this to happen because people are, are missing sports right now. Baseball, basketball playoffs, Stanley Cup finals, all that stuff. That's, that's, that's fun. That's nice. But I, I urge you, if you're, if you're a fan out there, to get, my point, to get my point across, go look up every year for the past decade and, and look up the top 100 live broadcasts in the country. Um, at the end of the year, they're always tallied, and they're saying, like, who, what were the top things watched across the board? And littered throughout the top 10 and all the way down to the top 100, the, the by far the most watched thing is football. It, it dominates our, our, our form of entertainment. Um, and even, like, the things that are usually around it, sometimes when it comes to, like, the, the, the other shows and sitcoms that, that some of these networks have, the best ones are often the ones – that come after football and um it, it it's such a huge it will be such a huge vacuum of uh, of entertainment in this country that if we don't have that I think there's going to be a lot more unrest I think there's going to be a lot more people that are impatient with things because again you know and, and a perfect example is that like you know when you compare you know the first game of the, the game one of the Stanley Cup uh last year had about five million people watching Games one of the World Series and the NBA Finals was somewhere around like 13 million for the World Series and 15 million for the for the for the NBA Finals. For the Super Bowl, we are in the hundreds of millions. It is it is another level of what people watch in this country when people when people, and and even playoff games are in the 30s of millions and. It's just it's such another level of, of of entertainment, of a source of entertainment and of revenue, because with that comes advertising space. With that comes merchandising. With that comes people flocking to business to bars and locations to watch the games because they don't own cable right now. Um, if football doesn't happen, all that goes away, at least for now. And I think everyone in the country is trying to figure out is 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 it's praying that the NFL does it even just for beyond like, you know, just liking your favorite team. It's about the economic side of it. And uh, 
you know, everyone, you know, there's also the other side of it that says, you know what, we can't afford to put these guys at risk uh, just, just for entertainment. This, this cannot afford to become like, you know, gladiators in Rome and stuff. Um, but it, it's, just, I think the serious thing that, 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 that says that to me that this is going to happen is that people are going to look at this and they're going to say, look, we need some sense of stability in this country and football in the fall is, is, is one of them. And nope. maybe, yeah. maybe one of the biggest ones. You're right. And no one's going to downplay the importance of an escape. You know what exactly. I mean? An escape from where we find ourselves as a country and as a world, as we still battle with, you know, look at Allegheny County, you know, in, in Pittsburgh where uh, everything was opened up and then people kind of took their liberties and then it's closed back down. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. That weighs on you. So if, if at least on Sunday you can sit down and watch the Steelers play, that's an escape for four hours. It's a, it's a way for you to mentally get away. But my question too is what's going to happen when the first big name player contracts this virus, whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic does not matter, even though they do differentiate in the protocol that was released by the NFL. And I believe that was approved by the NFLPA as well. There's a difference in the return to play. They're going to at least miss a game, but even if what's going to happen when that first case happens in regards to like, what, what is the feeling going to be like? Think about it. Ben Roethlisberger is coming back. Let's say he's on a hot streak. All of a sudden, Tuesday, he gets tested when he reports the facility, and it's positive. He's going to miss the next game. And let's say the next game is the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, think about that. What do you think that's going to be like? I think it's going to be like uh, – what, 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 okay. It's going to happen. It's going to it's happen. Gonna, it's going to happen. And the NFL is acknowledging it's going to happen. Like, good – Dell said like a month ago, like we are planning for people to get sick. Like it's just, it's unfortunate, or at least it's a test positive, not necessarily right. get sick because that involves symptoms. But the biggest thing is that for the NFL, the best way they can do with this is to take their health seriously and treat it like you do an injury. You know, how many times have we heard, have a play, has a player looked fine at the end of a game and then midweek they pop on the injury report and we're like, Oh gosh, well, what, what do you mean? Le'Veon Bell has a groin problem that he didn't have that last week. Uh, You know, how many times the Steelers fan, do you remember that happening listener? So I think with COVID it's kind of like that. It's just at a higher degree because also it doesn't mean that they're just going to be gone for this week. It means they'll probably be gone for two weeks. And um, I I look at this and I think it's going to be a struggle, but it's one that we kind of have to accept with the times and if, 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 if as fans, you want sports, you have to acknowledge that, hey, this is part of the risk and you got to be willing to, to stomach it. Um, and I think that, you know, it's going to be like this, hey, that's bad luck. But at the same time, you know, imagine, imagine this, Jeff, say ben, that happens to Ben Roethlisberger right before they go on the road to Baltimore and it's a huge division game and they're tying the record and Mason Rudolph comes out and delivers a great game and throws a winning touchdown pass and everyone it's going to feel like the Charlie batch game in 2013. You're like, Oh, how did they do this? How This is amazing. It may, it may make the game even cooler for all these players that didn't, that wouldn't normally get a shot. Now I'm not saying it makes the game better because absolutely we want the guys who have earned their spots to have their opportunity. And we don't want, this isn't like saying, Oh, it's great that these guys got sick or tested positive, but I'm saying that the NFL can find ways to, make this still exciting and to make it not seem like I can't watch this sport because it's just too much stress to worry about if this guy's sick. And, and, and the unfortunate part of this is 
you know, when some, when some people get sick, some people get symptoms, some people don't get symptoms, some people get hospitalized, some people die. The biggest thing that can't happen, if, if, if one player dies or is like in critical condition, that's going to cause other players to look around and be like, mm, I'm not so sure about this season. Yep. You're right. Now, if I'm the NFL, I'm, I'm, I still have the time that other organizations don't. Major League Baseball, their issue right now isn't positive tests. It's that their testing protocols are, what in the heck is going on? I mean, they've had multiple teams say that they can't practice because the testers didn't show up or the test results weren't back. The NFL has to see this and say, we are going to be better. I don't care what you have to do. You have to pay the testing facilities that are doing it more money. Whatever the case may be, they have to figure that out. And the second thing, if the NFL smart, they have to understand that right now, their facilities, they have to be clean. And when I say clean, I'm not talking about sterilized. I'm talking about everyone that's been in the facility has been tested and they're all negative. Clean. You don't want to get any player, whenever they say, okay, training camp's going to start on July 28th. Whenever that date comes, whatever date it is, maybe it's in August, maybe they push it back. Whenever it is, they would be wise to get their players tested before they even report. Because let's say, we talked about Zach Banner. Let's say Zach Banner somehow is an asymptomatic carrier, test positive. All right, Zach, you're staying home. We'll see you in two weeks. You know what I mean? You're not infecting the facility. But my other question for you is, this is going to sound awful. It really is. but. Do you think there's ever going to be a situation where there's a coach or an organization, <clears throat> New England, that would not – I didn't <laughs> – that was a cough. That was a cough, Chris, okay? That yes. would not hide but say, well, you, you're asymptomatic. You can play. You ever think that would happen? Ooh. Um, I would hope <laughs> that the NFL would have their own officials – yeah. At each location that, that says, yeah, whatever dudes, we're doing the testing. I would hope that they would, but I just know the NFL won't care. <laughs> they will, they will like, okay, if that, because first of all, if that gets out, that the NFL is letting guys who test positive, it breaks the whole system. Because oh, yeah. then, the, then the player's like, well, then we're all getting sick and there's no point to playing because you, you can't protect us because you yeah. won't protect us. You'd be done. Um, You'd be done. I, I do. Yeah. I have, to, I have to think that the NFL would put every, every ounce of its power into its owners and be like, listen, this cannot happen. This can, I don't care if, if you're about to go to the Super Bowl. If your guy tests positive and you ha- there's no sparing anyone tests. You know, and you know what they 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 should do is make everything public. You know, you know, and, you know, make make these people these people that go to the, that test these people at these facilities. They're not team employees; they're league employees, and their job is to report to the NFL, not to you. Um, and because 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 you, you I, I I can tell you, there's definitely pressure. You know, that comes from the top on on the little guy sometimes, and I, to what you. I, I don't have a hard time seeing some teams pulling that and, and the Patriots would be chief among them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I could definitely see that happening. So I, that, I, that would be a concern of mine. And that's something that I have thought about. Like what if people start lying about this stuff and, and the players too, because the players are probably sitting there like, man, I'm on a hot streak. I'm trying to hide every which way I can 
to not get this to not to, to, to not be to not be test positive um you know so there i think there's going to be the effort but the nfl has to has to put every ounce of its of its resources into not only making this safe but making sure that the, that their their testing is rigorous that there are no corners skipped or um the, you know there's there's no there's all t's are crossed all i's are dotted um and uh, that that this cannot happen because if it happens even once it's it's a wrap and we are we are going to be talking about the NFL you know having to stop what it what it's already started and that's the biggest thing here Jeff is that I think it's acceptable if the NFL either cancels or pushes back week one but once there is football on television regular season football preseason's fine but regular season football if they have to stop it and and postpone it as an entire league, that's going to kill it. That's going to be a death knell to this season, um, or at least the start of a death knell to, you know, to to this season. But um, they need to make sure every precaution's in place so that not only can teams not lie, but everyone is tested, everyone's safe, and that they're doing everything they can. And you know what? If, If people are, if more and more people are testing positive, that may mean, becoming a more responsive organization that says, you know what, rosters, you are expanded to 65. You know, just bring in whoever you can to survive because we understand the situation and, uh, you know, maybe we'll put to halt to some rules to deal with this, these wild times. But they have to be ready to, to handle all these different problems that are coming. And, yes, telling the truth about positive tests is absolutely a concern. Yeah, it should be, and it, it should be paramount in the health and safety of the players and the personnel. People forget about the coaches. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, well, these players are young, they're healthy. Yeah, well, there's also coaches yep. that are older and not as healthy. And so it's it's a whole thing. It's officials, it's sideline, everything. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, hurdles to still go over for the NFL, but I think we both agree that the game should take place in 2020. It's going to look different but it should take yep. place. Chris, before I let you go, give the listeners out there your social, your Twitter handle, so in case you want to follow you, they can. You guys know you can follow me at Carter Critiques on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, if you follow me, I will follow you back, thanks to all those who do follow me all the time. I also do my own podcast, Locked on Steelers podcast, that you know sometimes we feature on the website, just been on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a great show, and uh, you know, I, I love that I get to join what you guys are doing here. Um, you guys are doing a great job here. Uh, so yeah, follow me at Carter Critiques and uh, always down to hit me up. Don't be afraid to hit with add or a DM. Always down to chat with you guys. As uh, all you uh, you lunatics out there, you subscribers, you know very well. Yeah, absolutely, and Chris. Hopefully, we'll have you back on as the season gets closer, and we'll talk about more of the news and the breaking news that's happening. Thank you for your time. I'll be back tomorrow talking some baseball with Alex. Take it easy, everyone. Be safe.